0: This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on, hope everybody's doing well. Um, Myself personally, I'm doing a lot better uh, from my last um, recording that I gave you guys. Uh, I just first want to say thank you for all uh, your prayers and well wishes and doing better, um, and through God's grace, everything's going well. Um, but for today's episode, I, I, I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. I, I During my time off, uh, I, I, I well, first off, I'll say I'm, I'm a big history buff. Um, I was originally going to go to college to be a history teacher, um, so I could fall back on that if uh, coaching didn't pan out. Um, so now that I'm not coaching, I have a degree in something completely different. I just have a regular job like everybody else. And I do do this podcast for fun and travel around for college football. And it's amazing. Uh, but during my time away from the podcast, I've, uh, been doing a little bit more, uh, history, um, reading research, wh- whatever it may be. And my neighbor shared an amazing story with me. Um, that I, I thought w- would go really well with something that I've thought of for a very, very long time, um, having to do with uh, a, a particular mascot. And, and for those of you who know, I've been asking a question of the day basically on Twitter every day um, just to get, get engagement going, um, just to create conversation. And it's, been going tremendous uh, it's been a lot of fun seeing people uh, comment on different things uh, gained a lot of more followers for the podcast and all which is which is great but the, I, i'm just doing it for the <clears throat> for the interaction of everybody and just to see some of the great topics that are discussed and it's been a lot of fun but one, one of them that i that I, I i asked the other day uh on my son's birthday is what everyone's favorite mascot is um, because that's he's he just turned five, and of, of course, a five-year-old. One of your favorite parts of going to a game is seeing the live mascot, just because you think it's cool and funny and whatever it may be. So, I, I've long thought, what would be the best mascot? Um, what would be? I guess when you think of a mascot, you think of something fierce and something that would that strikes fear into your opponent. And I think the mascot that I'm going to bring up in this podcast, at face value is not something that would ever strike fear into anyone. However, once you hear this story I'm going to share with you and the history behind it, I think it's going to blow your mind just like it did for me. Um, Pretty pretty amazing thing. So for those of you that don't know, um, Eastern Michigan University has not always been the Eagles. Um, in 1991 that in May of 1991, they changed their mascot from the Hurons, um, and which was, uh, an Indian tribe. Uh, if, if you know, Michigan and you know, the great lakes, obviously Lake Huron, um, the Huron Indian tribe got their name just from being near Lake Huron, as you would expect. Um, uh, and the Huron name in Michigan, um, is, is something that you see and hear a lot. Uh, I grew up, I'm born and raised in Flint, Michigan. So I've been around uh, Michigan and everything that there is to do with Michigan my whole life. Now, I mean, I live in Illinois now, but I always will have Michigan in my heart. So this, this was an interesting, something that I've thought about over time, knowing that Eastern Michigan changed their name from the Hurons to the Eagles. I didn't know the whole story behind it, and I'll, I'll just give you like a brief little synopsis about it. Uh, in nineteen ninety one, um, a student in Eastern Michigan um, brought basically decided, or not decided, they, they they put in a complaint about the name, the the uh, name Hurons, and the logo that they had, which depicted a Native American. Um, on the logo, so this per this student at the university um, put in a complaint, registered it through some different uh, um, uh, different American Indian uh, uh, things and such, and uh, the president of the university got word of it. Um, they went through the Michigan Civil Rights um, and. Through the office and went from there when it came to the complaint. The complaint reached the president of the University of Eastern Michigan and he decided to form a committee to try to get to the root of the complaint and try to go through the process, um, creating a, a board uh, to, to go through the complaint. The, the leader, the, uh, the head of the committee, was the athletic director, Gene Smith. Um, and Gene Smith was tasked with formulating uh, and compiling a bunch of uh, and, and investigating the whole process. Um, so as you could t- as you could guess um, that would take a, a long time. And, the, and they found out d- during doing their investigation that the origin of the mascot came uh, in the 1920s when a student uh, from uh, in a contest that took place at Michigan State Normal College uh, where the name Huron and the logo was presented and that's just kind of how it went from there um, And long a long story short that they got different uh, Native American tribes involved, different chiefs uh, found out, that there were still living descendants of the Huron tribe, they got two of the chiefs involved that, that were still living from that tribe. One lived in Oklahoma, the other lived in Canada. Um, and got them t- and then got them together and kind of went through the process of just uh, of form- of trying to decide what they were going to do with this. Uh, the original conclusion that they came to was to keep the name Hurons, but just to change the logo. Which I think, uh, if anybody knows one of the other directional Michigan schools, Central Michigan, they did the exact same thing. They the, Almost the same type of scenario took place with the Chippewa tribe. Um, they met with the leaders of the Chippewa tribe. The Chippewa tribe said they completely supported the name, um, and they were completely fine with it. So Central Michigan went with a block C as their logo, and they of course have kept the name Chippewas to this day. So the Eastern Michigan Hurons was basically it was going to have the same type of result. Um, everything went went the way the way that they were going through the investigation. Different board meetings took place, and it just kind of went from there. So the committee uh, comes to the conclusion that hey, we're going to keep the name the Hurons, but we're going to change the logo. However, before the final vote takes place, uh, one of the regents, uh, one of the uh, one of the people on the com- at the meeting, um, Regent Burton stood up, gave a speech. Um, he was the president of the board of regents at the university, um, and gave gave a. Passioned speech about um, being a minority, and how he thought that the logo in the name might not be correct for the university. Um, Regent Burton was an African American man, uh, and and uh, th- th- it kind of went from there. Um, after after that took place, they decided to take a month off, kind of let everything stew over. Then they came back and Regent Burton comes back and Rosen made some comments saying that during the past month he had talked to many of his friends and fellow minorities and that he felt that he had been wrong in his comments at the previous meeting. He said that he now felt that the board should keep the name but just find another logo. Now the board of course was perplexed by all this because they felt compelled from his speech in the previous meeting where they felt now, okay, we need to change the name and the logo. So then he comes back, like I just said, a month later at the next meeting and says, hey, I've been talking with a lot of people. I don't think we should change the name. So just just a really, really interesting situation. Um, and th- Long story short, Obviously, the university decides to change the name and the logo. So now, Eastern Michigan, as of May 1991, became the Eastern Michigan Eagles, and the Block E and different Eagle mascots have um, been been in place there for a long time. Of course, there are many, many um, former graduates and who, who were a little hurt by this, still consider themselves the Hurons, and this is probably a topic that will go on and on for a long time, uh, or at least until those with that connection to the university have. A, in, until that time, um, it will be hard for some of those people to understand uh, why they changed the name and all this and that. I'm not here to debate that topic. I'm here to talk about the opportunity missed by Eastern Michigan when it did come to naming the mascot. I have long thought that Eastern Michigan, of course the acronym EMU, should should have changed themselves to the EMU EMUs. Now, this is probably gonna sound ridiculous, but I, I think it's a perfect marketing p- scheme employ on their part. I have looked for different emu mascots at the college level. Not there. I think this would have been an opportunity, a, a great opportunity for them to, um, set themselves apart from everyone. And the acronym, of course, the the name emu goes perfectly together. I think it just makes perfect sense. And <clears throat> you could do a lot of things with an emu logo. I, I think we could, you could go on and on about that. So I know I might sound a little crazy with that, but here's where the history part comes up here. Here's where my mind was blown a little bit. I'm just going to read from you, um, and a little insert that I was provided about this topic. And I've done some more research on this. It's, it's truly amazing. <clears throat> In 1932, the great emu war of Australia. Um, I'm sure you guys are really shaking your head and wondering what, is, where am I going with this? So, uh, the Great Emu War: How Australia started a war against flightless birds and lost. The 1932 Great Emu War in Australia was an absurd yet futile military exercise to establish dominance over a species of flightless bird that ended in failure. On December 10th, 1932, the Great Depression led Australia to declare war on one of the on one of its beloved flightless birds, the emu. It provided it proved to be one of the most futile military upsets of all time the great emu war of western australia as it came to be known was a bizarre expedition where the country lost in a full-scale war against birds there's a sentence that is that's a sentence that's both absurd yet uninspiring unsurprising the genesis of the 1932 war can be traced back nearly 2 decades before that In 1915, when the Australian government launched a soldier settlement program to help World War I veterans find gainful employment as they couldn't afford to pay them pensions in the height of the Great Depression. The policy entitled, Compensating Over 5,000 Soldiers, Huge Swaths of Farmland for Cultivating Wheat and Rearing Sheep, Uh, the scheme saw soldiers settling in Western Australia in one of the most remote and inhospitable lands also known as emu country so emus began to devastate the newly acquired farms in 1922 just seven years after the lands were allocated to veterans unable to cope with the menace the government quickly reclassified them from protected species to vermin meticulous documentation on the issue revealed that by 1932 over 20,000 emus were confirmed to be stomping over farmlands and eating crops grown by the soldiers. Around the same time, the Great Depression caused the price of agricultural products to collapse, making farming lives even harder. Lacking enough ammunition to kill the emus, the farmers were threatening to abandon the lands and demanding the government to find more prospective lands and relocate them there. It was in 1932 on November 2nd that the Australian Army intervened after immense pressure from farmers unions and other activists so here we go the Great Emu War of 1932 In the first ever battle of the Great Emu War soldiers reportedly armed with 10,000 rounds of ammunition and Lewis machine guns set out for from Perth to launch an open attack which failed the devastating failure was widely covered by the Australian media at the time and the reason given for it was the birds were too quick and tough to kill. Newspapers constantly printed new war strategies devised by experts who all recounted later that it would take more than a couple of bullets to bring them down, and it was also revealed subsequently that nearly all of the Emus escaped the attack. Before the end of November, the Australian military was launching full-blown war day after day against Emus. Soldiers responded to reports every day of more birds flocking there with a strategy, in quotes, of their own to counter the attack. Soldiers got closer and shot the birds from all directions. The casualties were still only a few dozens. The army even shifted to guerrilla warfare, but to no avail. With every new strategy, the emus adapted to the battle. The army also acknowledged that each pack seems to have its leader, its leader now. A big, black, plumbed bird, which stands fully six feet high and keeps watch while his mates carry out their work of destruction and warns them of our approach, Major GPW Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery said in an interview to the Australian media. If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. The major leading the offensive was quoted saying about the incident. After 38 days of intense battle, with guns jamming, vehicles breaking down, and only a few hundred Emus killed, the army was asked to call off the Great Emu War on December tenth, 1932. The Australian government <coughs> opted instead to provide the farmers with ammunition free of cost and add as and when they needed it and and only promised to build a 200-kilometer anti-emu wall, which never fully materialized. They also incentivized the farmers by placing bounties on emus. The farmers continued killing emus and collecting their bounties for many years later. According to the Australian Wildlife Protection Council, the law on hunting emus is very clear. Although their status has been changed to protective species. They can be culled if they enter private properties and with appropriate gun licenses. And now, nearly 90 years later, veteran soldiers turned farmers may have had the laugh, but there's no denying that emu still won the Great War against a fully-packed Australian army, nearly despite all odds stacked against them. So... You- you're either doing one of two things like I did. I, I laughed while I was reading this the first time. I-, I thought it was hysterical. Just the whole concept of these emus being able to defeat an army of machine guns and artillery being shot at them. It, it just blew my mind. But again, it led to the thought that I have always had. The Eastern Michigan University dropped the ball when they didn't change their name to the emus. As we see here, quoted... From uh, one of the leaders, a major in the Australian artillery, flat out saying that these birds are almost uh, indestructible. Um, just leads to: Could this? Could an emu possibly be the perfect mascot? Could they possibly be an indestructible force? The fiercest mascot you could come up with. Again. I, I raise up this topic in discussion just to have some fun with with this topic that I've done some research on, just because I found it pretty hysterical that these emus were able to defeat an entire army with machine guns and, and, and the like. And the fact that, that this lasted for as long as it did, it, it, it's saying... 38 days of intense battle, guns jamming, vehicles breaking down, um, and only a few hundred emus killed. Um, I, I think we can applaud the emus and say that just might be the best mascot that we can think of, that we could find. Again, this is all in fun. But at the same time, could there have been a huge marketing uh In a huge strategy by Eastern Michigan here with a ton of money to be made off of a mascot such as an emu. We will never know. Or maybe we will. Maybe Eastern Michigan University will hear this podcast and they'll say, hey, we should maybe change our name to the emus. I hope that's not the case. Just having some fun with this. But nonetheless, pretty amazing story uh, to back up uh, a thought that I've had for a long time. So, hope you guys enjoyed this. I, I had some fun with this like I did. Uh, the indestructible emu, as it says, or as the uh, Australian government and military learned. But nonetheless, guys, uh, I, I'm glad to say that I am back uh, to be doing podcasts, take a look uh month and a half maybe two maybe almost two months off here um, to get my mental right and to just uh, figure some things out Um, hope you guys are all doing well I'm doing great Um, look forward to be uh, doing more interviews with players and coaches in the future Um, hopefully uh, I can't wait to start doing my weekly show with my buddy Justin Brissett again uh, focusing on UConn football Um, just, I hope you guys enjoy my new focus and mindset that I'm going to be bringing to this. Um, I'm going to keep doing this until God tells me not to, um, uh, it gives me a lot of enjoyment and a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, I, I, again, I love doing this. I love all you guys for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and just hope everybody's doing well as I am now again. Thanks guys for listening. Hope everybody has a good night. God bless.